you might have a lot on your plate um, and you might feel overwhelmed and feel like you're killing it in one area, like you're just doing amazing. In another area, you might feel like you're failing. And and I would just say, don't, whatever that area it is that you're failing in, don't let that area be in the most important parts of your life, especially week after week after week. If, if one week you feel like you dropped it by not spending enough time with your family, um, don't let that be a constant weekly thing. Like try to bounce back the next week and go, okay, I'm going to spend some extra time with my family because I was working and say, um, don't, don't go 52 weeks with a really bad rhythm before you make a change. Hey friends, welcome to the podcast. My name is Paul Doherty and I'm sitting here with my friend Zach Bernatsky and we are doing an episode where we're kind of switching it up. For the last several episodes, I've interviewed other pastors and leaders like Bill Johnson, Sammy Rodriguez, Chris Hodges, Danny Liebscher, uh, Ryan Horton, Keon Henderson. If you haven't watched any of those episodes, by the way, go back and listen to them, watch them. But today we're switching it. My friend Zach is going to interview me a little bit. We're going to talk about the last month and and really what's ahead for 2024 and um, and what's stirring up in my heart. So, Zach, I'll let you kick it off. By the way, if you haven't hit subscribe to our podcast, hit subscribe, share it with your friends. Let them know about the podcast, talking about life, love, family, faith, mind games, all things. Let's go. Well, we are sitting here seven weeks from book launch. Come on. Mind games launched seven weeks ago. That's crazy. How are you feeling? It feels like it's been a year, <laughs> but I also feel like every day feels kind of long. Like yeah. with five kids and and the, everything victory does on a regular basis, it just feels like a day can be a week and a week can feel like a month. And you're like, oh, wow, it's only been seven weeks, but it feels like it's been half a year um, since since Mike Todd and I sat on that stage you know, for book launch. But it's been good. I mean, I feel like we just kind of came to the end of our series as a church on mind games. And, and this upcoming weekend, we'll have a guest speaker, John Bevere, um, who we'll probably have on the podcast soon. But yeah, I think it's been good. It's, it's been a whirlwind. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, but, you know, seven weeks now, we did, like say, we just finished the sermon series. The book's been out. People have got a chance to read it. What do you hope or what would be, in your mind, huge success, huge win, what, do you, what is your hope as people read this book, as they've gone through the sermon series, that they pull away from uh, this having this resource that they pull away with? What do you, what do you hope people come away with? Uh, I know this is going to sound cliche and cheesy, but I want people to experience victory. I want people to experience victory in their, in their mind so they can experience victory in their life. And the whole point of the book is that if you can win on the inside, like the battle is between the ears, if you can win in your mind, you can win in life. And... So often, I feel like we go through seasons where we experience either um, just like we settle. We settle for uh, a less than a le- like a life that's less than what God intends for us to live. So we settle in in mindsets of you know fear or worry or complacency or just you know going through the motions. And so my prayer is that this would be a year of, of intentional victory in people's lives that they go, you know what? Every week I want to get better at what God's called me to do. And I want to walk in victory over my emotions of deep sadness. Now it's one thing to be sad if you lost a family member or you lost something that was meaningful in your life. But if that sadness persists into a place of depression over months and months, 
or leads people to a place of complacency where they just stop, you know, pursuing the dream, the goal, the plan, the purpose God has for their life. Um, that this would be a year people take back authority over their mind, their heart, and in result, their life uh, to experience victory. That's my prayer for the book, not just for this year, but for as long as this book is out. I pray that it touches people um, in a way that initiates a desire to live a life of victory from the inside out. Yeah, that's awesome. It, and that's why this topic is so important, because when women hear we win the mind games, it's when we start seeing that victory on the outside. Come on, uh, Jesus. Let's start on the inside. Come on. Uh, and, you know, as someone, as someone might be listening to this and they say, and I've, I've listened to the series, I've read the book, um, and I, I feel I'm ready. I'm ready to take on this this mind game. I've already been taking the steps. But what are some other practical steps? Because I know the journey isn't just necessarily over just because we've read a book and we've hit a sermon series and we feel good in the moment, but we can come back even a week or two or a year later and it's like, man, why am I struggling again in my mental health? I read the yeah. book. But what are some practical things that we can continue to do, uh, whether that be counseling, friendships, community, whatever those practical steps we can take to continue to fight and win that battle? Yeah, never mind. I love it. Well, you said it right there. Community is a huge one. I think we've got to live the rest of our lives intentionally in community and choosing the right community. You know, I preached a message in this series all about, it was called Buffaloes, Earthquakes, Buffaloes, and Healing Trauma. And what I said is that buffaloes, they take on the storm together. Like they, they form a pack and they move towards a storm while cows will retreat, you know, in isolation. And I think God's called us to take on every season of life in community with the right community. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Your crew determines your view. The right friends uh, are like an elevator that can take you up. The wrong friends are like an elevator that will bring you down. And so I think it's important to choose friends that that help your mental and emotional state that don't, you know, make it worse. Like if you're hanging around people that are always condescending, rude, sarcastic, mean, uh, fickle, like you can never determine if they're in a good mood or bad mood. It's going to naturally affect your mood. It's going to naturally affect your mindset. If you're hanging around people who are always, you know, um, threatened by anybody that's going further than them or reaching for more than them, it's going to cause you to settle because you're like, oh, I don't want my friends thinking that I'm better than them if I pursue a, a, a life of greater victory. And so I think it's important to hang around people that want to build you up, like, and not just hang around people that want to build you up, but be the kind of person with your own friends and family and spouse that wants them to succeed. Like you're pushing people to victory. And I think community is so big. Yes, like read the book Mind Games. Read every book you can that strengthens your inner man, your spirit man, uh, that you know can help your faith grow. But then beyond books, like get in community, get in your local church, get connected. I think not just community, but serving. I have seen in my own life and in the lives of people, this this last week we celebrated my grand-grand's 100th birthday, and it was a huge deal. Um, like Zach, the whole team did a great job really behind the scenes making making videos and content that, that honored this woman who's given 100 years of her life uh, and surrendered to God. And 38 of those years have been serving on staff at Victory. And so we honored her, but I was thinking about how Grand Grand has, has had moments where she could have gotten bitter 
and she could have sat in her rocking chair and gotten angry at God. She lost her husband tragically in a hunting accident um, where a gun fired and, and killed her husband tragically like that. And then she lost her son. My dad had to bury her own, her, her own son, walked through miscarriages, walked through pain, walked through the loss of friends and friends dying before she did. And in all of these moments, she could have gotten angry, depressed, lonely, bitter, like, I've read the book Mind Games and nothing's changed my life. But she stayed in community and she stayed in her purpose of serving. She greets people still to this day as a hundred year old woman, greets people out in the lobby, shakes their hands, holds the door open for people, helps single parent moms find where children's church is, calls people during the week, checks up on people who are sick. And I'm in my mind, I'm like, the formula is not that complicated to live a life of victory. It's pretty simple. Like choose this day who you're going to serve, serve God or serve your flesh, serve faith or serve fear, serve selfishness or serve uh, selflessness, like choose this day. And then once you choose, by the way, the choice is ours. And that's what I share in the book a lot is that sometimes we delegate. It's almost like we play the victim so much. Like it's my dad's fault that I'm an addict. It's my mom's fault that I have insecurity issues. It's, you know, it's my ex's fault that I can't trust men or that I can't trust women. It's, it's everybody else's fault that I'm mentally and emotionally uh, broken. No, like we've got to take back authority and go, hold on. It is my responsibility to get my mind and heart in order. And if I can do that by reading God's word, praying, talking to a counselor, getting in community, getting help, if there's any medical help I need to get, God gives us the gift of medicine. Get that, but then also choose to serve because serving will flip the focus off of myself. Depression always makes us very self-focused. And when I was going through my depression, battling you know, a, a moment of suicidal thoughts that I share about in my book, I was, I was unaware how selfish I was focused. Even though in my mind, I thought I was doing a selfless thing, like maybe if I get out of here, everyone else's life will be better. In my head, I thought that's a selfless thought, but it was really selfish because it was all about me. It was bowing down to my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my own assumptions that nobody likes me, that everybody would be better off without me, and it is selfish. And so when we start serving, even if we feel depressed or even if we feel lonely or discouraged, that serving just starts to break that selfish mindset and go, I'm here to help somebody else have a good day. I'm here to shake someone else's hand. I'm here to help other people experience life and love. And by doing that, I start to get out of this mood of my day is so bad. My life is so bad. It starts to change me. And so I think these are just some practical tools beyond the book Mind Games that I pray in my own life that I model for my kids, like never stop serving, never stop building healthy relationships with people and and not focusing so much on just your mood and your emotions wow they're so good <laughs> that's i'm just sitting here because it's, it's not that it wasn't the answer i fully expected but there's so much wisdom and, and like depth at that mm-hmm. uh but i love it and it it is it's when we get out of ourselves and we serve it makes it makes the world bigger because yeah. even you know i i'm we're approaching two years of marriage on. And, I got to do your wedding too. The, I know it was amazing. I'm so thankful that like, you did that because uh, I know it was a busy season for you. It was an honor to officiate and I was really honored. It was an honor to have you. 
I get to say for the rest of my life, the past and fall fit away. <laughs> but you were saying, I interrupt uh, two years. No, two years. And I think one thing I have learned and continue to learn through those years is the more I can put myself aside and serve. And we talk about, okay, I'm like, man, how do I, how do I be a better leader at home? How do I, and it's really come down to serving. Yeah. And even through the tough seasons and the heart, like even in two years, we've had some tough moments. Uh, it's been a great marriage, but it doesn't mean that life itself is at heart. Uh, and I've realized that the more I can get away from myself and the more I can serve, the better my mood is. And there's something about just positivity and helping others and living outside of myself that has allowed healing inside myself. That's good. Uh, and so maybe even just, you know, talk through whether like positivity, um, serving, how have you, whether that's a personal story that you had, how does that work? Especially when, you know, we might not be able to see what the the positive side we might there might we might be in the middle of the storm like the buffalo we might be in the middle of it and we don't we can't see to the other side how do you how do you gain that strength and stake that positive positivity to keep walking through the storm even when it feels like we can't see where the storm ends it's good well first off i think every marriage like you said you're two years in every marriage i know this past week we honored the longest married couples in the room and I said, how many of y'all been married for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? And people raised their hands for each other. And then I said, how many of y'all been married for 60 years? And there was like four couples in the room that had been married for 60 plus years. And I was talking with them afterwards because I interviewed them a little bit in service. I was like, all right, give us your wisdom. And they were like, just keep forgiving, you know, like keep forgiving, keep loving, don't give up. And I think it's really important for all couples out there to realize you're not alone in your hurts from your spouse, your feelings of being misunderstood or not being listened to fully or or just feeling like, you know, your spouse didn't meet your expectations in, in some week or in some moment or month or year or whatever that way is with family. There's things that happen. And I think we've got to keep that positive perspective of, hey, we're going to get through this and I'm a work in progress and I'm going to keep getting better. You're going to keep getting better. As long as both of us are trying to get better and pursuing God's will for our lives to get better as a man of God, as a woman of God, then it's great. I think when we stop pursuing growth in our life, that's a, that's a red flag. Like we need to, that's when we need to go check into a therapy place to go. I, I, for some reason, I don't want to grow. I don't care about growing. I don't care about getting that. Like that's a, that's a big sign of depression. And so I think um, one way I stay positive is by continuing to focus on growing. And one way Ashley and I have stayed positive through the highs and lows of, of marriage and family and life and moments where you are feeling discouraged, um, either because you're you're in a season, a slumpy season where things aren't going the way you thought they would go or that you hoped they would go for dreams or goals or prayers. Um and you have to you have to hold on to hope to say God's not finished. This is not our final chapter. This is not like this is not where I stop growing. It's, I'm going to grow through this. I'm going to grow through this pain. And one one time I preached a sermon called Rain. And that was the name of the message. It's just Rain. And uh, but I talked about how rain can cause things to grow, but rain also can make things really slow, like. Rain can can cancel your plans. If you had plans for an outdoor wedding or an outdoor party, when rain shows up, it kind of messes up all your outdoor plans. 
makes everything muddy and messy. But on the other side of that rain, grass grows, trees grow, flowers grow. And so when we go through seasons that are rainy and, and painful and disappointing and frustrating and our plans and hopes and expectations kind of get, you know, dashed, that's an opportunity for us to grow. And sometimes like in the book, in the word of God, we look at the book of Job. Job had to grow through the pain and the rain of losing his children tragically and losing his health and losing his house and losing his cattle and all these things. And yet Job never walked away from God. Yeah. Did, he, did he go through depression? Yes. Did he go through deep grief and sorrow and pain? Yes, we all do. But he kept on seeking God. He kept on praying, talking to God expressing his emotions, and finally he got to see a restoration. And so I think we got to keep keep that positive spirit that even in the midst of our deepest, darkest trials, God is still on the throne. He still wants to speak to us. He still wants to work in our lives. And we may not like it. Of course we don't like it. But if we can grow through it, we can have a testimony on the other side that says, hey, I didn't get bitter. I got better. I didn't I didn't let this defeat me. This propelled me into a deeper faith beyond answered prayers. Um, and one thing I've always said is that faith begins where understanding ends. I think I got that from an older preacher when I was really little. This older preacher came when my dad was the pastor and he said, faith is not built on answered prayers. Faith is built in the moments where prayers aren't answered and you still trust in God and you still show up and you still worship and you still forgive. You still pray. And I that always stood with me. I was like, yes, that's that's real faith. Yeah, it's it wouldn't be faith if it was easy. It wouldn't yeah. be faith if we didn't have to have so much trust and be unknown. Yeah. But and you had preached this, I think, in a message several weeks ago. You had talked about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo. And yeah, I, I love that story. And I always love how what Nebuchadnezzar says, bow. And they say no, and they say, our God can save us, and he is strong, he is powerful, and then they follow it up with, but even if he won't. And so they say, he's still good, he's stale faith. Well, it wasn't about what they saw, it wasn't about, even about what they wanted to happen, yet they had complete faith and trust in whatever God had. Yeah, and even, and he goes on to, even he goes on to save them in the fire, but even if he didn't, there's still the story that is impacting us today. And with yeah. Job, I love how there's this, we did, and we do see he goes through all this hardship, and but he comes out of it and God restores so much. But even more than what God does is like, it's an encouragement to people for the rest of time. Yeah. That even in hard times, like God, we're not alone. Yeah, it's there. Amen. Well, tell me a little bit about what's going on. You know, we're coming out of winter into spring, come on to summer, mind games. We're moving out of the mind game series. There's been a lot moving. Gregory has a hundredth birthday. A lot of yeah. happened, but a lot is coming up here to church. What's what's on your heart? What are you excited for? What are you looking forward to this spring and summer? Uh, uh, well, one, well, Easter is almost here in a couple weeks, and our church always does a, a phenomenal job on Easter. I love we're like a very creative production type of church for people who are listening to this podcast. Um, every year for the last like 25, 30 years, our church does this huge Easter production and we do it at Easter and Christmas. And about 15 years ago, my brother, John got involved. He's our creative pastor. And so he started helping kind of 
flip the script a little bit, like obviously still telling the story from the Bible, but thinking of all kinds of creative ways to make this story come come to life and looking through different lens of characters and half on film, half live in the room. So I'm excited about that Easter. I'm excited about, um, honestly, just like I love this time of year. I love seeing trees and flowers bloom. I'm a tree planter, little uh, like side nugget here. I have planted 4,000 trees. So I love planting trees. I, I plant a lot of baby trees. I think I get it from my uncle. He's a tree planter up in Tennessee. And he has a ton of land and like forestry. And so he does all that. But I, I love it. I love seeing like things grow. I love planting flowers, trees. And um, I planted several wild flowers like two years ago. I think I planted maybe 300 seeds. And this last year, there was 10,000 flowers. Like they had multiplied. So I just love this time of year. It's, it's like the weather is getting warmer Um, Our five kids, we were out last night just playing outside for hours because the weather was 80 degrees outside. And I'm like, yes, I love playing sports with our kids. Uh, Our kids' basketball seasons all ended this last week. So now they're stepping into spring sports. And then here at the church, there's a lot of great things coming up. Like, um, So those that are listening to this podcast, we have a school, um, K4 through 12th grade. And so springtime and summertime is there's a lot of activities in the schools that are happening both our boys and girls basketball teams are going to state which well they're in area so I think our boys are going to win state championship but I just love sports I love seeing the school and and victory college and then uh yeah the Tulsa Dream Center has got a lot of great spring outreaches and and we've got a missions trip so I'm taking my middle son with me to El Salvador. We're doing a big outdoor crusade in the month of March in El Salvador. We'll take 200 teenagers from our school, from Victor Christian School, um, and we'll spread the gospel all through the streets of El Salvador. Um, some some teams are going to different countries. We have a senior team that's going to Greece, which sounds amazing. I kind of there's a part of me that's like I, I wish I was going there, but El Salvador is going to be just as incredible. And then. Um, and then we've got some teams going to like Mexico and, and this summer we have a team going to Guatemala and uh, Brazil and potentially Africa. So I'm excited about all these mission trips coming up. I'm also um, scheduled to speak at some churches here in the springtime. I'm excited to go and preach about my book. I was on the phone today um, with someone who helped me with the book and he said, Paul, just because the series is over doesn't mean you stop talking about this book because this is your life message. And he was like, you don't. And then he said that I I asked him, I said, is it a success? Because it didn't sell as many books as I was hoping. And I know as many books as maybe other people in the publishing industry were hoping. And he said, first of all, it's only been out for seven weeks. Second of all, just because you finished a series doesn't mean that the impact of this book is going to slow down or stop. He's like, the first book an author writes has the rest of its life to keep living. So he's like, you got to see this book as like a baby. The baby didn't die after seven weeks. Like the baby's going to start growing. And he's like, you have to see this book taking off even years from now. And I'll share this because I th- I want to encourage people out there that, that maybe launched something, released something and haven't seen the full impact of it yet. And I'm believing that about my book. I'm believing that as it continues to stay out, it will reach people and have compounding impact as months and years go on that 
we haven't seen its best days yet for where this book is going to go. And I was reading this article about books that didn't take off in their first year or even in their first five years. So one book, I'll just read, I'll share this with you. There was this one book that a man in Argentina wrote several years ago. It was called The Alchemist. And when he wrote it, the first year, he only sold like a hundred copies of the book from his own car. Um, And people read it and they were like, hey, this is good. But it was like only a hundred copies after 12 months. And he had worked hard and long to get this book out. Then another year went by, a couple more years, and he was able to sell a couple more hundred books until he reached, I think it was like 5,000 books sold over maybe five or six years. And still, in the eyes of a publisher, that would not be a success. In the eyes of probably a lot of authors out there that would hope for a lot of sales, they'd be like, yeah, that, that book didn't really do well. But he never gave up on the dream of this book becoming a bestseller. And he kept on trying to tell people about the book. And so more people finally started getting a hold of it in Argentina and it grew and it, and it started selling more copies in, the, in, in Argentina. And then someone gave the book to an actor in Hollywood who handed it off after he read it to one of his friends who then handed it off to Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt was reading it one day and just started weeping. And the book so impacted Brad Pitt. He was sitting on a talk show. This is 10 plus years after the book had been released sitting on a talk show in America, talking about this book that was Argentinian, translated to English, but only had a few copies in English, had not yet hit all the bookshelves in America because no one thought about it. It wasn't on anyone's radar. When Brad Pitt mentioned on the talk show this book had impacted his life in such a profound way, the next day, the book sold out. People were demanding the book in Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, 15 years later, it became a New York Times bestseller. So the whole point of, of that story is like, never give up on when something could take off. It may not take off in its first year. And I, I've kind of been thinking about my book. Like, I pray my book does well. At the end of the day, New York doesn't get to determine if my book was a success. God determines it. And success is not how many books is sold or how much, you know, you make off of a, an idea. Success is obedience. Did you obey God? Did I obey God to write what he told me to write? Yes. And that 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 is, you know, for me, that's the victory. And so my prayer is as time goes on this year, next year, and the years ahead, that people will get that book and that it will change someone's life out there. You know? Wow, what a crazy story. Yeah. I've heard of that. I haven't read the book, but I've heard of that. Yeah. My brother got it for me last year. So I read Alchemist. And it's good. It's not a Christian book, but it's it's a great book on life. And there's other stories like that. Even the book, The Shack, you know, it's controversial, but The Shack, it took 10 years before that book actually landed on on bookshelves and then became a bestseller book. But I think the same goes for whatever it is in life, whether it's making movies or making books or launching a company or, you know, whatever dreams on your heart, you can't always gauge the success off the first seven weeks or first year or even first five years. Sometimes it takes a lifetime before something truly is seen as a treasure from what it was, you know, 50 years before that. Yeah. So. Well, it's going to keep going. Come on, dude. Come on. Well, I know we got to wrap up. Any last questions for me? Anything I can hit on before we close out? I think one last question, you know, as we've talked through the book and continuing to push that and everything from Easter, all the things that we're doing here in the school and 
Tulsa Dream Center and the college. How do you manage all of that? It is so much as a pastor. Oh, so one last nugget for you. One last like, nugget. One last nugget. How do you manage when your hands are so full and dealing with all the things around mind games? And it, it's been doing great, but even managing your your attitude around it. And it sounds like you've been in a great, great place for that. But how do you, you know, keep yourself out healthy and manage all of these teams Hundreds and hundreds of people, just staff members, let alone all the people impacted by these ministries. I read this uh, quote from the CEO of Coca-Cola. He said this. He said, um, in life, imagine that you are juggling and you are juggling this ball that stands for work and this ball that stands for children and this ball that stands for your marriage, your spouse, and this ball that stands for health, your physical health. And this ball that stands for your spiritual, your faith, like, you know, going to church and all that, reading your Bible. And he said, every ball is made of glass except work. And I thought that was really interesting because he said, basically, the one ball you're allowed to drop that's not going to crash and shatter is work. But you drop that ball with kids or your marriage or your physical health, you're going to be in a rough place. And I think... As much as I really want to do the best job I can working for the church and preaching a great message every week, I don't always, some weeks I preach like a, I would call it like a base hit message. Like we got to first base. I'm bunted the ball. We barely got on, but I got to first base. And then some weekends I preach maybe a third base hit. Like, oh, that was really good. It wasn't a home run, but man, you, you like, I hit some good points. And then every once in a while, I might hit a home run. And I had to take the pressure off myself a couple of years ago. Like, you don't have to hit a home run every week. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the most brand new content. But it can be some things that maybe I have thought about, preached about, but trying to preach it in a new way and tell that story of Jesus healing the blind man, even though I've told it before. And I think I, I would just encourage people who are in the ministry, don't make ministry such an idol of so much excellence that you drop the balls of your family, your children, your marriage, your health, because that's when it gets dangerous. I think we've got we to gotta recognize what priorities are the most important and then, and then do the best we can with everything. Like last night, playing with the kids, that was the priority. Um, I could have worked late into the night because there's, definitely work to do. And and yet my kids needed me. And then there's nights where Ashley needs me. Like just let's sit and talk. And and yet there's tons of housework to do. It's like, oh my gosh, we've got we gotta clean this house. It is a mess. And yet the need in that moment is to sit down and have an hour long shark to heart, you know? Yeah. So I think it's just monitoring and engaging like what's needed in this moment, what's most important and and I don't always get it right, but I try to, and I want to keep getting better. And I think just encouraging people out there that are watching and listening, you might have a lot on your plate um, and you might feel overwhelmed and feel like you're killing it in one area, like you're just doing amazing. And in another area, you might feel like you're failing. And and I would just say, don't, whatever that area it is that you're failing in, don't let that area be in the most important parts of your life, especially week after week after week. If, if one week you feel like you dropped it by not spending enough time with your family, um, don't let that be a constant weekly thing. 
like try to bounce back the next week and go, okay, I'm going to spend some extra time with my family because I was working insane. Um, don't, don't go 52 weeks with a really bad rhythm before you make a change. Try to make a change sooner than later so that you can, you know, gauge how you're balancing all these things God's called you to do. And so I love you. We could keep talking, but we'll make another episode and uh, stay tuned on the podcast. If you haven't watched all the other episodes or listened to them, please go back and do it. If you haven't gotten my book, Mind Games. Let's go. The Landry Alchemist. <laughs> it's still available. It's available at Barnes & Noble. I've got way too many copies in my closet at home I could send to you. Uh, or you could go download the Audible version. I read it to you. And uh, if you like listening to my voice, you can go to Audible and listen to the whole book, Mind Games, right there. Zach, thanks for doing this interview with me. No, thank you. And you're doing a good job. Hey, you too. <laughs> Much love, guys.